All right, well, good morning. My name's Matt. I'm on the team here at Victory Point. If you're here uh, for the first time or fairly new here, just a, a warm welcome to you. Very excited that you're with us, and I hope this is a very joyful experience for you. I'm excited this morning uh, to have Chris Klein share a message with us. A lot of you know Chris, or at least know of Chris. You've seen him around Victory Point. Chris and his wife, Dawn, right there. Give a little wave, Dawn. Yeah, they, uh, they, are, they are part of our family here at Victory Point. And um, I don't know if, if you know this about Chris, but one of the things Chris does is uh, part of what he does at, to make a living is he speaks. He speaks uh, locally and around the country. Um, you've even spoken internationally, right? Right? You're an international superstar. And, uh, it's like, but, but Chris goes around and, and speaks. He gets invited to speak at conferences. Uh, one of his passions is to, to really mobilize and inspire and encourage people with visible disabilities to experience relationships, you know, through devices like this. And uh, that, that's his passion. But his biggest passion is Jesus. And, uh, you know, not everywhere he goes does he get to speak openly about Jesus. So he's always excited when he can speak on a Sunday because he can just share his heart. He can just, you know, share what God's been speaking to him. And we're in this series called Overflow where we're just asking whoever's up here on a Sunday to share out of the overflow of their heart, to share what God's been speaking to them. And uh, God's been speaking to Chris, and he's going to share a message with us this morning. So, Lord, I just pray that you speak mightily through Chris, that you both inspire and challenge us to be more like Jesus through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys help me welcome Chris Klein? Have you ever been in a field and were poked by a prickly bush? I know as a kid, I had many of those pulled out of me, and it hurt, but you moved on once it was out. Little prickly things weren't going to stop me and probably you from having fun. You get poked, pull it out, and go on your way. Living life is a lot like that, isn't it? Life sometimes pricks you with something, and usually you can pull it out and continue on your way. This happens a lot, and sometimes we don't even feel the prick. It's just part of living life. I would say many of us are either shy to share what's going on in our lives, or we believe whatever we are struggling with is too petty to share with somebody. Of course then there is the person who is totally overwhelmed with what life has thrown at them. They don't know where to turn and where to go, so usually they act like nothing is wrong. They have prayed and prayed about it, and yet God seems like he isn't even there. The physical, mental, and emotional pain becomes more and more overwhelming, and now they are going through the motions every day, hoping nobody would ask how they were doing. They want to hide. They have lost all faith in Jesus, or they decided that this is the way God wants it. I will get more in depth later, but I believe we use this phrase too much. I believe it's a cop-out from living our faith out, in my opinion, and like I said, I'll get more in depth into why I believe that later. 
This morning we are going to talk about and listen to what God has to say about suffering. I have been studying this topic for at least 30 years of my 45 years of life. I have been confused at times why God heals some people and yet leaves others to struggle. I don't know where you all are on this subject. Maybe your life is peaches and roses all the time, so this may not pertain to you. However, I believe most of us can relate to this topic in some way. There are a number of stories in the Bible that talk about this topic. Trust me, I have read and studied most of them, and I still don't think I'm an expert on this subject. Yet, one of my favorite people in the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. He's one of the greatest apostles and has helped me view suffering through a different lens. His name is Paul. The interesting thing about Paul is he really lived a dual life. He was Saul before he was Paul, and he was one of the harshest people to persecute Christians before his conversion. He killed, he stoned, and he just wasn't very nice. Let's hold on to that thought for a minute. He meets Jesus when he is headed to Damascus to do some of that persecution. He gets struck down by the risen Jesus, is blinded by the bright light, and now Paul has to be led by hand to Damascus. God sends Anhorninus to restore Paul's sight. You can read this whole story in Acts 9, but Anhorninus eventually follows God's orders, goes and meets Paul, and God restores Paul's sight. This starts Paul's ministry, where he is thrown in jail several times, he is beaten to the brink of death, and he is stoned and left for dead. The thing is we hear no complaints from Paul. He is on a mission from God, and there is nothing that is going to stop him. This is one of the reasons why I find this passage in 2 Corinthians so interesting. Paul has plenty of stuff to complain to God about, but for all we know he hasn't. Paul introduces us to his thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10. The whole passage is going to be up there, but we are going to look at these verse by verse. Right before he introduces us to his thorn, Paul explains about revelations he has had about heaven. This was about 14 years prior to writing this letter, and as scholars have traced the timetable back, it's about the time he was stoned and left for dead. So, during that stoning experience, God reveals and gives him a glimpse of the kingdom that is coming. And now he writes this in verses 7 and 8. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul introduces us to a thorn in the flesh. 
The Greek word he uses here is stoops, which actually means a stake driven in the flesh. This was a physical ailment of some kind. We don't really know what physical ailment it was, but the strong Greek word suggests he was dealing with something physical, and I am going to suggest to you it was pretty major. For all that Paul's been through to say something about this, it has to be something that is pretty much driving him crazy. The interesting thing is he calls it a messenger from Satan. I'm not sure why exactly he calls it this, but we do get somewhat of a glimpse of how these ailments were viewed by the culture in John 9 verses 1 through 2. The disciples bring a blind man to Jesus and ask him who has sinned. Was it his mother or his father? This was a pretty common Jewish understanding of suffering, so some believe Paul thinks he has been inflicted with this because of his sins of the past. Paul relates it back to this vision and revelations he has had, trying to say this thorn is supposed to keep him humble. I am going to suggest to you Paul is just searching for any reason for the thorn. He's really just like us wanting to know why, so he decides on his own this is the reason. That is why he calls it a messenger of Satan. It's interesting that Paul doesn't contribute this to God. Actually, I would say he leaves God totally out of the conversation of why he has this thorn. Like I said earlier, I believe we put God in stuff way too much. We say this is God's plan for me, and really it gives us a cop-out not to live life. This postmodern culture wants concrete answers, and sometimes there just isn't a concrete answer or a quick fix. This is exactly the place where Paul finds himself. He's looking for an answer. What he does do is plea with God to take this thorn away from him. He does this three times, he says, but it could have been thirty times for all we know. He wants God to take it away. Don and I were in Meyer about a year and a half ago. Dawn was looking at something on the shelf, and I was behind her just trying to get out of the way. The aisle was clear with plenty of room to get past us. All of a sudden, this woman comes and yells at Dawn, excuse him. Dawn and I looked at each other very confused as we watched this woman make this big curve around me. Dawn smirked and said, I guess she didn't want to catch your disability. All people perceive things differently, and yet perception of a disability really hasn't changed a lot over the last 30 years. A disability is a limitation of some kind, so when it is visible like mine is, people tend to write you off right away. The disability I have sticks out like a sore thumb. For those of you that know me know that I don't like sore thumbs very much, so I have been battling all of my life to make the disability disappear. 
The question I have had to answer is this. What can you do when there seems there is nothing to do? It is a question that I face every day. Many times I have thought if I didn't have a disability, I would be just a normal person. I wouldn't have to deal with everything I have to deal with now. My life would be so much simpler. I have to see able-bodied people around me, and I think to myself they have the life. They are able to do all the things I wish I can do, and they're living the dream life. I know I always wanted to know what it was like to be quote normal. I always wanted to know what it was like to be able to do anything I wanted to do at any given moment. I believe that would be fun for about a day because I have realized fitting into the quote normal community is a lot of hard work. Everybody has a constraint in their life, but most people try to hide their constraints. Constraints are viewed today as a weakness, and nobody believes a person can have a weakness. So, when this happens, a person tries to mask whatever flaw they have in order to be accepted into their community. We are bombarded with this idea every day. The media tells you, if you have a flaw, you can fix it. If you look different, we will give you a makeover. But don't be satisfied with the person that you are. Do something about it, so you will be able to fit into a society. Donald Miller writes this in his book Blue Like Jazz. I think we have this need to be cool. That there is some undercurrent in society that says some people are cool, some people are not, and it is very, very important that we are cool. So, when we find somebody who is cool on television or the radio, we associate ourselves with this person to feel valid ourselves. And the problem I have with this is that we rarely know what the person believes whom we are associating ourselves with. In other words, who cares about what I believe about life, I only care about if I am cool. Miller hits it right on the button. We want to fit in so badly that sometimes we sacrifice what we believe. Our beliefs become secondary to us so that we can join in what we believe is the cool group. By joining that group, we are just conforming to the type standard. We are becoming walking masks who aren't showing people our true identity. I was born in 1973. The umbilical cord was coming out before me, so they had to do an emergency C-section. They knew they were racing the clock. 45 minutes later, I was born. I wasn't breathing and my body was blue. They started CPR and gave me CPR for 40 minutes. I was breathing finally but I had gone without oxygen for more than an hour. The lack of oxygen caused an injury to the motor portion of my brain. I have cerebral palsy. I am classified as an athletoid, which means my muscles never stop moving. 
The expectations for my life weren't high. My life wasn't going to be the life they expected for me. I wasn't going to be able to walk or talk. I wasn't going to be the star athlete. I wasn't going to be able to do a lot of things, and all of a sudden my parents had one of their many what-do-we-do moments. Living with cerebral palsy isn't that big of a deal. It's all of the side issues that come alongside of cerebral palsy that can drive you crazy and to the brink of giving up. Do you understand how frustrating it is not to be able to express yourself? Do you understand how frustrating it is when your parents or brothers and sisters can't understand you? For the first six years of my life, I couldn't express myself. I couldn't tell my mother what was wrong with me, or let her know how I loved her. I was stuck because nobody could really understand me. And now everybody wondered what my mental capability was. These were questions nobody could answer. Because while some believed I expressed myself enough, other experts couldn't tell. As I grew up, I started using a picture book to communicate with my family. It solved some of the frustration, but it was slow. And I still couldn't communicate everything that I wanted to say. Judy, my speech therapist, wondered if I might be able to speak using a communication box, so I was given my first one when I was six. We took it home and mom let me try it. I used my left big toe to operate it, and by the next day I was talking in complete sentences. As a person living with a disability, you are always going to have an uphill battle. This is true for all disabilities, and it gets even more difficult when you have a communication disorder on top of the disability. When you have a disability, but have your communication, you can navigate your way through the system and almost become anything you want to be. It isn't easy, but it is possible. When you have a disability and you aren't able to communicate, it's almost impossible to become something you want to become. It's almost impossible to accomplish something you want to accomplish because most people walk right by you. You can't communicate, so you have nothing to offer. Why should we get to know you? Why should we give you a chance? My life is a prime example of that fact. People haven't given me a chance because I communicate differently. They haven't given me the same opportunities that other people get because I have a disability and they just can't see past the disability. If that wasn't enough to deal with, at the age of two I started to dig into my thumbs. I had constant blisters on my thumbs, so to relieve some of the pain, Mom covered my thumbs with band-aids. That worked for a while, but when I was 11 I had a sore down to the bone on my right thumb. Something had to be done, so they decided to do major surgery on my right thumb.
if it was left up to me, they would have cut my thumb off right then, but what does an 11-year-old know anyway? They removed all of the muscles from my thumb and used the lower joint so it couldn't move. It worked for about a year and a half, but when the muscles grew back like all muscles do, we were right back to baseline. I'll shorten this story a little, so instead of band-aids, we started covering my hands with gloves. First, it was one glove on each hand, but by the time I was 17, I was wearing four gloves on each hand, and I was still having pain. This prevented me from going on school overnight trips because who was going to take care of my thumbs? Who was going to be able to put on my gloves besides my mom? If that wasn't enough to deal with, I realized I was different from many of my friends. I couldn't do a lot of the things my friends could do, but I didn't start to question mom until I had to get on a bus every morning to ride to school. Why do I have to have a disability when my brothers and sisters can run and play? I want to be just like them. I want to walk to school. I want to play sports. I don't want to deal with pain every day. I don't want to ride on this bus every day for an hour to get to school and back home. I would cry when my bus came, but every day mom put me on that bus. This is where I really started to ask tough questions. Life just didn't seem fair to me. I really had to wonder why a loving God I heard about in church would make me suffer. Yet, Mom and Dad always reassured me God would give me the strength. Actually, Mom always put me on the bus by whispering this verse to me, I can do all things through Christ, who gives you his strength. As a 13-year-old who wanted to do everything his brothers were doing, that wasn't always what I wanted to hear. If Christ was going to allow me to do all things, he was sure showing it the wrong way. I still had a disability. I still couldn't do everything I wanted to do. He hasn't healed my thumbs, and I'm still living with that pain every day too. So, I really didn't like mom whispering that verse to me every morning. However, I pushed myself through. I excelled through grade school and high school. However, excelling through high school didn't help me get accepted. I told mom I had to dress like everybody else because that way they would see me. So, with the help of my four other older siblings, Mom made sure I was right in the style. I wore all the cool clothes. I had the newest Jordans, and still I had a difficult time making friends in school. I tried to mask my disability, however it's the only thing my peers saw. This frustrated me so much that I wanted to give up. I wanted to sit at home, where I knew I was accepted, and just be happy with that life. My mom continued to remind me I could do this because God would give me his strength. 
Paul was exactly where I was. He was at his breaking point with his thorn. He has done everything God wanted him to do, and yet God continued to say no to this one request. Paul doesn't understand it until God tells him. Verse 9 reads, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God echoes what Jesus tells his disciples in John 9. Jesus answers them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This shifted Paul's attention off of his thorn and onto the grace of God. He began to understand in his weakness God's power was strong. The first lesson I learned from this passage is God knows best than we do. We might pray and pray and pray, and God still may say no. I believe this is the hardest lesson to learn because we really don't want to rely on God. We trust ourselves better than we trust God. So, if God says no, all of a sudden we have to trust him differently. Paul embraces his thorn in the flesh now because he knows God is stronger than anything. This is why he tells us, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's focus is directly on Christ. It is off of his thorn. It is off of his struggles. It is off of everything else, and strictly on the power of Jesus. This is why Paul writes to the Philippians this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. This was written as he was sitting in jail, waiting on Neo to kill him. This is one of the most used verses in the Bible, and probably the most misused verse. You see it a lot on a team banner when a team is coming out of the locker room. However, everybody takes it out of context. It doesn't mean you can accomplish anything you set as a goal. You may, but it's really a verse of enduring the struggle. Christ will pull you through anything you are struggling with if you are relying on him. I know there are some people here that feel the constraint in the way is blocking them from achieving something great. You know the odds are stacked up against you, so you just figure it would be easier to throw in the towel. Actually, maybe the constraint is blocking you from Jesus, and it's getting in the way of Jesus using you. The thing is, even with the constraint, you can do all things through Jesus, who gives you his strength. When the world is telling you no, you are going to have to decide who you are going to listen to. Are you going to listen to all the doubters? 
Are you going to listen to the spirit that is inside of you? When I started at Hope College, we thought we figured out a better way to protect my thumbs. I would wear one glove and then a neoprene splint over it to help protect my thumb. It was working, and it was pretty easy for somebody else to change, seeing I had to wear these during my showers. I made friends easily, and really had a typical, normal college life. For the first time, I believe I started to forget about my disability. However, as my senior year came along, my thumbs developed sores on them again. I was taking 16 Advil just to make it through the day. I was put on a muscle relaxant to relax my hand. Nothing worked again, and I remember sitting alone in my dorm room just crying. Why God? Isn't the disability enough? I have to live with this pain too. This is when I read verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I know this wasn't the first time I had read that, but this time something clicked in me that night. I realized I was still allowing the disability to win. I had allowed my disability to become my identity. I had allowed all the chatter around me decide who I was, and my life wasn't working. It was at this time I realized my mom wasn't saying the struggle was going away. She was giving me a life sentence to endure the struggle so that I could see the possibilities. I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. It didn't mean I was going to be able to do everything I wanted, but I would be able to endure the struggle. By enduring the struggle, I would be able to persevere. By enduring the struggle, I was no longer relying on man-made solutions. I was relying on the power and strength of Jesus. There is a spirit within me that told me I couldn't give up, which ignited a light in me. I am hoping that light shines brightly out of me everywhere I go because that light has become my identity. My disability was still able to be seen, however it disappeared because I quit trying to be something I was not, and people saw a guy in a wheelchair who liked video games, who liked sports, who liked to joke around. They wanted to get to know me. For the first time in my life, my friends looked past the disability and saw a person. They saw a light burning in me, and they wanted to be a part of my life. Lesson two that I learned from this passage is trust God's grace is sufficient. For the longest time, I remember feeling I was given a raw deal. It's only when I started to trust that God's grace was sufficient that my life turned around for me. I realized I had a God-given purpose, and Jesus was going to help me accomplish that purpose. This is a world that is filled with inequality and injustices. This didn't begin in the last few years. This began in the garden. 
When sin entered the world, constraints entered the world. The thing that has changed is people believe they should be bailed out of their constraints. When this doesn't happen, many sulk. They complain about their inequalities and injustices, but that's all they do. They tell people this is how God planned my life, so there is nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry, as I said early, I believe that is a cop-out. I have a lot of inequalities and injustices I could complain about, but I'm not going to do it. My biggest constraint will never go away, however I'm not asking for a handout, and I don't expect to be handed anything. I have proved myself over and over, and I will continue to do so for the rest of my life. I know that gets old at times, but I know we all have to prove our worth. It's just that some of us have to work harder to prove ourselves. This is where the spirit within you helps you to keep going, even when you are feeling like stopping. It's that spirit telling you, trust me, I can get you through. It's that spirit telling you, let go, rely on my strength. It's that spirit who is telling you, let me be the strong one, so that my power shines through your weakness. God is calling us to be his disciples. In order to do that I believe God needs us to get out of the way. I don't know why God didn't take away Paul's thorn. I don't know why God hasn't healed me either. Yet, I know God uses things for his purpose. This takes me to the last lesson I have learned. I need to rely on God's strength to get me through every day. The only way my life is possible is relying on Jesus to show up every day. In order to have hope every day, I have to give every aspect of my life over to Jesus. As a teenager, I failed doing this because I didn't believe anybody could handle my disability other than my mom. I'll admit that now, and that is very difficult for me to admit. When I started to realize Jesus was always there for me, I started to rely on his strength. This is very difficult to do, and I know I fail to do it at times. I fail when I start to get anxious before a trip. I fail when I get frustrated about needing to find help for something. And yet, Jesus still shows up every day to give me his strength, even when I forget to ask. I know I believe I could do more if I didn't have a disability. However, would I still rely on Jesus every day? Probably not. I would probably rely on my own strength. When I wake up every day, I have to decide if I am going to get up to endure another day. I have to decide to give the power over to Jesus because I know I can't do it without his strength. It would be very easy for me to say God planned this life for me. However, by saying that, I don't believe I'm giving God justice. I'm giving myself an excuse not to live for Jesus. 
like Paul, I am comfortable living in the ambiguity of God saying no to taking away my thorn, and knowing his grace and strength is really all that I need. The amazing thing is he has used this disability for his purposes. He has put me in situations to show his power and his strength. He has given me the ability to speak his word in a unique way. Jesus has given me the hope to get up every day and say let's go live life. I am going to invite the band up. Where are you today? Are you at the end of your rope? Are you tired of hearing God say no? What is God saying to you? God is reminding us, my grace is all you need. Rely on my strength. It's the only way to truly follow me. Let us pray. O oh Holy Spirit, grant us the wisdom to search for you. Help us to feel your grace. Help us to feel your strength. Help us to rely on you solely. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.